you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Revelation. Uh, I hope the little drive-by, the drive-through, how about that? We've parked in, we've parked the car even in, in Revelation now for the last year, and I hope that you've been able to kind of see and understand a little bit more about our world uh, through Revelation, like that it's crazy. Listen, our world is screwed up, all right? Uh, and can I say that? I hope I can. I did. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's messed up. What we know is this, is that Jesus is the answer. He is the hope. He is the only hope. And so what we're trying to do as we walk through the book of Revelation is to hold him up high. We want us to focus on him. Uh, we've been teaching through Revelation now for several, several months. We've come to Revelation 17. Most theologians, most commentators will tell you that Revelation 17, Revelation 18, 19, and 20 are some of the most difficult chapters in all of the Bible to preach through, to understand, to teach through, because they are so full of symbolism. Now, if you've been here for a while, you know that I've been teaching from Revelation in what is called an idealist standpoint, more symbolic in nature. Uh, what we know is this, is that whether you see Revelation as being fulfilled in the future, in the final seven years uh, before Jesus comes back, or you take it and you see it more from a symbolic reading, as I am taking it from this standpoint, what we know is this, is that we believe Jesus is Lord. He is king, and that he rules and he reigns. Some of you may be sitting there going, okay, you're reading this from a symbolic standpoint. Does that mean that you don't think the Bible is literal? I need you to hear me. I want to always be really, really clear. This book, this Bible, is 100% without error. It is the inerrant, infallible word of God. I believe it from front to back. I believe that Revelation was written by a literal man named John because he saw a literal vision. Uh, I believe that we're literally going to see Jesus come back one day, and he's going to take us to a literal place called heaven, and those who don't know him will go to a literal place called hell. The reason that I'm saying that I read the book of Revelation from a symbolic standpoint, those visions, is because I believe there's, it's called apocalyptic literature. And so apocalyptic language that you see in Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, and other Old Testament uh, passages. And it helps us to begin to see. You see, John, what he's doing is he's showing us signs. He's showing us pictures. He's showing us visions and symbols to teach a deeper reality. He doesn't even identify necessarily and explain what these visions are. He just holds them up and says, here's what the, what the angel has shown me. This is what I've seen. And so we can differ on the interpretation of what those things lay out and look like. What we don't differ on is, is that Jesus is alive today. He is well. He is reigning. He is going to come back, and he's going to take his church to be with him. We can know for certain that the war has already been won. It was won when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven. We've now entered into the time that I, I would say the, uh, the church age, and we've been experiencing tribulation throughout the last 2,000 years as a church. I want you to hear, it's going to ratchet up. It's going to keep, the dial keeps getting turned, and it's going to grow and grow and grow. 
And no matter how you or I would interpret revelation and the visions and the symbols, what we both know, what we both need to keep in mind is this, is that if we get so caught up in what does the symbol mean that we don't take time to study, to follow, to sit at the feet of the one who gave the symbols, we'll be eaten alive. You see, this book was given revelation so that we would have a deeper understanding and a deeper, deeper love and appreciation of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing today. Most of us today, or many people in the world today, would say that our, our situations, they're, they're all political. I need you to hear me. Politics is not the problem. Some people would say education is the problem. Listen, if we were more educated, our world would be different. I need you to hear me. Education is not the problem. Politics is a piece of the problem. Education is a piece of the problem. But I need you to hear, this is a spiritual issue. And the only thing, the only way that we survive as a church, as a people, as an individual, as a community, is to know that Jesus is the answer. He is the answer for all that we have, all that we need. It is him and him alone. Today, we're going to read all of chapter 17. We read all of chapter 16, all of chapter 15. We're going to read all of chapter 17. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of his word today. Uh, I'm going to be sticking closer to my notes because I'm, you're going to see right here as we read through. Revelation 17, this is the word of God. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and on it, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in, her, uh, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of, the, of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman and drunk with the blood of the saints, and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is the other, one is the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must re remain a little, only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but, 
They are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The angel said to me, the waters that you saw were... were where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Pray with me. Father, I'm asking today for wisdom. I'm asking that you would give clarity. I'm asking that you would give understanding. Father, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would be our guide and teacher today. And I'm asking, Father, that you would speak to these people, Father. Lord, you give them what it is that you desire uh, today. May your spirit be, as Jesus said, our great teacher today. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, this passage, as you can see, is so, so packed with so many symbols and so many images. Uh, I, if I were, like, we're in two services. If I had three services, literally to go back to back to back, I couldn't fulfill everything in here. I'm going to give you some names of some people that I study that if you would like to go and follow up on this, I want you to be able to. The first name is a guy named G.K. Bill. G.K. Bill, Daryl Johnson, James Hamilton, uh, Matt Chandler, Sam Storms, all of the, uh, Garrett Kell, Mark Dever, all of these names are the people that I've been studying and looking at. And listen, did you realize that John Calvin wrote a commentary for all the books of the Bible except Revelation? He says, I don't know what to do with it. So I need you to hear me. Today, it's all right if we disagree. It, it's all right. Uh, it, it, I hope it's all right with you. If I don't give you everything in this passage because there's so, so much, and I'm still learning through all of this also. What we do see here, though, is that there are some schemes of the beast that I want us to catch today, and there's two that I want to focus on. Number one is this. The first scheme is the enemy's sword. We're going to see the enemy's sword today. The second scheme that we're going to see is the enemy's seduction. If he can't get you with the sword, he gets you with the seduction. And I think that we're going to be able to see some of these things today. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be walking just verse by verse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give us a composite. That's why I want you to take some things down so that you're able to go back and be able to see uh, as we sketch this out. Verse 1, look at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us this, that the prostitute is seated on many waters. It tells us in verse 3 that the, that the prostitute is seated on a beast. Uh, in another place, she's seated on the mountain. So we know that this prostitute is, is all, she's seated in many different areas. And being seated in the scripture is a sign of authority. This prostitute, the scripture tells us, is a pawn. I want you to hear. She is a pawn. She's being used by the beast. She is a part, she is a worker of the beast. These two work together hand in hand in a symbiotic relationship. 
The scripture tells us that this scarlet beast, scarlet, red, goes back to chapter 13. You saw the, the, the red beast of chapter 13. The scripture also tells us that red is the symbol of blood. It, did you see what it tells us down here in, chap, in verse 6? Verse 6, it says that the prostitute was drunk with the blood of saints. Is drunk with the blood of the saints. Uh, in her cup that she held had all of the abominations. It says she is the mother of abominations. We're going to come to that in just a few moments. You see, the beast uses her as a pawn for his work, the scripture tells us. The numbers seven and 10, the beast, it says, had seven heads and 10 horns. As we've been reading through Revelation, remember with it being apocalyptic literature, the numbers themselves, I believe, throughout Revelation are symbolic. They're not literal numbers. I mean, they're literal numbers, but they don't have a literal meaning. They are symbolic. In fact, this scripture even tells us that the, the seven heads, the seven heads are seven mountains. They're also seven rulers. It says that the 10 horns, they are 10 kings who will come, 17 different rulers. Who are those 17 different rulers? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, there are great theologians and historians who try to lay it out, but depending on how you lay it out, there's a mix. It doesn't happen here. I think what you're seeing here, because of the way that we've been teaching through Revelation, we see that these are symbols. See, 7 and 10, 100, 1,000, these are signs, these are symbols, these numbers in Jewish literature, apocalyptic literature, meant completeness. So what you're seeing here is this beast who is completely evil. The scripture tells us that the prostitute who sits on the beast, who is a pawn of the beast, has a name. Do you remember in Revelation, all throughout Revelation, there are marks the mark of the beast that later has a name across a forehead. There is the sealing of the saints that later has a mark, uh, a name on the forehead. Do you hear, do you see what the name of this prostitute is? It says she has a name, Babylon the Great. I want to come to this again in just a few moments. You see, she represents Babylon. Babylon was a real literal city. Most people don't realize that Babel, Babylon shows up in Genesis 11, all the way back to the, new, all the, way back to the very beginning. The, the city of Babel, after, uh, after Noah has uh, uh, gotten off the ark, he has saved the people by the hand of God, he's saved the people. They've started over. And at, the, at Babel, it says that the people came together. They were going to build a great tower to reach the sky so that they could make a great name for themselves. And it says that at Babel is where God dispersed, dispersed the people and changed the languages, confused their languages. Babel becomes Babylon. All throughout Scripture, Babylon is significant. It's a symbol for spiritual idolatry. Uh, Israel is taken into captivity to Babylon. Anywhere in Scripture where you see and you hear about sexual immorality, sexual impurity as it relates to the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people, it's talking about idolatry. And it says that this prostitute, her name is Babylon the Great. She is the one that personifies evil doctrines, evil relig false religions, anything that speaks against the word of God. 
that goes contrary to the work of God. It, it says that she holds this cup and she's, she drinks it. She's drunk, it says, on the blood of the martyrs. You remember back in Revelation 5, the martyrs under the, under the altar that they continually cry out, how much more, how much longer before you avenge? And Jesus says, just a little longer until the full number. At the time that this was written, well, really, let me, let me back up. Just prior to this being written, the church was undergoing such intense persecution in uh, the city of Rome uh, by the Roman emperor Nero. Nero was one who uh, historians will tell, I believe it's Josephus who writes and says that Nero would light the way of his garden with Christians. He would tie them to stakes. He would dip, dip them in hot tar. He would set them ablaze, and they would line his walkway. At the time of this being written, it's, uh, it, they're under the emperor Domitian. And history, historians tell us that some of the greatest uh, uh, persecution that happened in the Roman Empire was happening in the eastern part of Turkey or excuse me, the western part of Turkey, Asia Minor, where the seven churches, the literal seven churches who got these, this letter, uh, where it was there. And so for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been falling to the enemy's sword because the enemy is continuing to try to take out believers. I've said this to you before. I want to make sure that you hear me. I want to be really, really clear about this. There, are, there have been more martyrs for the name of Jesus, for the cause of Christ in the last 100 years than there has been in the last 2,000 years total. This is why I continually encourage you, the voice of the martyrs, World Watch. These are two sites that, because you're not going to get this on CBS News. You're not going to hear about this in the New York Times. There are people dying for their faith right now. This week, many of you may have even seen this. I'm very leery of things I read on Facebook. I'm just going to tell you, I'm very, very leery. But when I start seeing people that I know that I really, really trust, who like authors who are in the know, like reputable people, and they're posting about, some of you may have seen this week, the underground church in Afghanistan that all of them were executed this week. The children said, we counted an honor to die for the name of Jesus. L listen, it's still happening today. We often think about radical Islam, and I need you to hear me. Radical Islam is horrible. Radical Hinduism is horrible. But do you realize there are more Christians who have died in the last hundred years at the hands of, the, of communism than there has been in Islam and in uh, Hinduism? Some of you are going, are you getting political? No, I'm not po political. This is just the truth. For the last 20 years, World Watch, who is a leading organization, publication for the persecuted church, World Watch has ranked North Korea, North Korea as the number one persecutor of Christians for the last 20 years. For the last 20 years. Afghanistan. Somalia, Liberia, Nigeria, Northern Africa, Northern India. This week I read about in Southern India, radical Hinduism, 
uh, uh, dragging pastors away, putting them in prison. I need you to hear, one of the schemes of the enemy is the sword. He, he's got the prostitute on his back. The scripture says that, he, that she is a pawn. She will draw them in, and the enemy will use the sword. Tertullian, who I believe he was a historian and apologist of the 100s, 100s, 200s. His famous quote, if you, if you Google Tertullian, you're always going to see this. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know what he says? You know, what he's saying is this, is that when one dies, 10 more rise to take their place. 10 more rise to take their place. Listen, one of the schemes of the beast is the sword. I, I say often, because I am a repeater, there is no one outside waiting for you at your car today saying, hey, you need to deny Jesus. We're going to send you to jail. That's not happening here. But you also have to realize that we don't look at everything, we shouldn't look at everything from just our point of view because Scripture was written for all times, all cultures, all nations, all languages, all tribes, all places. And around the world today, there are people who are dying. But you know what? I think the second scheme of the beast is what we see most often. It's the seduction of the prostitute. Because remember, she is a pawn of the beast. It's the fame, it's the fortune, it's the wealth, it's the life of ease, it's the big retirement account, it's, it's, what, it's what you see on social media, it's the lie that you see that says, hey, you need to do this, you need to grab for this. It's the, when you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses cousins and the Joneses aunt and uncle, and when you're trying to keep up and you're seeing that, do you know what's ended up happening? It, this is the seduction of the prostitute, the scripture begins to lay out for us. You have to understand that her boss is the beast, and the beast and the prostitute, the sword of the beast, the seduction of the prostitute, they work together in a symbiotic relationship. Rome... Uh, Tacitus, the historian, says, uh, writes that how bad Rome was. It was a cesspool of moral corruption. Uh, Tacitus is, is quoted as saying that all horrible and shameful things find their home in Rome. If you can think about the Vegas Strip or Bourbon Street on Fat Tuesday, amp it up a thousand times. This is what Rome was. This is what they saw. Uh, the emperor Claudius, his wife was very, very beautiful. Her name was Messalina. Messalina is written about in history. Her beauty in the evening times, she would go sell herself in the brothels. The emperor's wife this is the cesspool into which 
is being written about here. Numbers 25, you've got your Bibles. Number, I want you to write that down. I want you to be able to see this. Numbers chapter 25, we're told of a story uh, where Israel is on their way uh, out of the Exodus. They're headed to the promised land. And in the, in, in the process of going to the promised land, Balak hires a prophet named Balaam to curse the people. So they want, he wanted to curse them so that they, they would have no success. God would not allow that to happen to his people. So three times Balaam tried to curse them, but he ended up blessing them. Uh, the scripture tells us in chapter 31 of, of, of uh, Numbers that Balaam eventually convinced Balak, the way to do this is, is you convince the, the nation of Israel to intermarry with the Moabites. And when they intermarry with the Moabites, they are seduced by their beautiful women. They will marry them, and then they will end up setting up house, the Moabite gods and goddesses will begin to come in and they'll be doomed. So much so that even in chapter, in chapter 2 of Revelation, Jesus mentions this. And I want to read this. Jesus mentions this to the church at Pergamum. Pergamum. He says this. He says, you have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. He even told the church at Thyatira. Now remember, who was Revelation written to? The churches. He told the church at Thyatira, he said, listen, you're tolerating the prostitute Jezebel. You're tolerating her teachings, and it's leading people astray. Folks, I, I, I need you to hear as a church, we're not immune from this. We can fall prey. Listen, our souls, our souls may be saved by God, but we can end up falling prey to the scheme of the beast by focusing on the seduction of the prostitute. When we begin to get our eyes off of God, when we begin to do things and allow the spirit of Babylon, let's go back to that real quick because I want you to see this. Go back over and uh, let's, let me, I want you to see in chapter five, or excuse me, verse five of chapter 17. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Do you remember anywhere in Scripture in the Old Testament that you see sexual immorality used for Israel? They're, they're being sexually immoral. It's for spiritual idolatry. And folks, whenever we begin to allow the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Rome, the spirit of the world to infect us, their ways, their customs, their thoughts, that override what Scripture has to say to us, I need you to hear me. We are being seduced by the prostitute. That could be sexually with pornography. It could be physically with the man or the woman at your next cubicle over. They listen to me. They understand me. It could be your retirement account, your beach vacation home that you have to have, that you work and work and work and work. Do you realize it could be your family? Do you realize it could be your family? That you are doing everything you can for your children, for your wife, for your husband, and what ends up happening is they become number one. Listen, they're good things, 
But I need you to hear me. When you put a good thing in the place of where Jesus ought to be, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes an idol. It becomes spiritual idolatry. It becomes the seduction of the beast. Everyone else is doing it, and there are, I need you to hear. I'm going to go ahead and get in trouble here, okay? I've already started. I'm going to go ahead and get in trouble here. Any, uh, oh, thank you, Rick. Anything, anything, any good thing that causes you to be too tired to come to church, any good thing that causes you to be too tired to spend time in the Word, any good thing that causes you to not have enough energy so that you can have family worship time, so that you can hold up the things of God, has become very close to being an idol in your life. And that could be different for each one of you. For some of you, it could be your job. For some of you, it could be your family. For some of you, it could be leisure time. Scripture would call that being a sluggard. I just, I just don't want to do anything. I'm lazy. I don't want to do anything. For some of you, it could be sports. I need you to hear me. I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong, but when they take the place, when they take the place of you being able to lead your family, when they take the place of you spending time with the Lord, when they take the place of you discipling your family, you know what's happening? The prostitute is discipling your family. And your family's being seduced, and you don't even realize it. Look at verse 6. I, I, look at verse 6. In a strange little way, this, I just need you to see this. Look at what it says here, verse 6. Remember, John is writing. I hear that alarm. That means I'm getting close. I promise. Verse 6 says this. And I, John, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled. I marveled. He goes on to say that the angel said, why are you marveling? Hey, John, John, why are you marveling? They use marvel again two, two uh, verses down when he says, listen, the world, those who don't know, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, the world, they're going to marvel at the beast. Do you see, John, right there, John, okay, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who at the Last Supper, the scripture tells us, laid his head on Jesus' shoulder, saw the alluredness, and he marveled. And the angel had to go, John, what are you doing? Snap out of it. And we think that if I spend five minutes in the Word a couple of times a week, I'm going to make it. Folks, I... I'm calling you, this church, whom the scripture has been written to. Revelation was written to you and me. That the only way we're going to have hope in this world to fight the sword and the seduction, and I need you to hear me, if we're seduced, we'll end up at the sword. The only way, the only way that we're going to make it is by the word of God, planting it deep, deep, deep in our life, and planting it deep in our homes, rooting out the idols. You see, the seduction of the, of the prostitute, the sword of the beast, he uses those. 
Here's my question for you. What's seducing you today? There is something seducing all of us. You know, I was reading a book this past week on marriage, and the author was saying that all of us are five minutes from disaster. The question is, is do you know what that disaster point is? Here's the thing I need you to know. All of us are being seduced today by the prostitute because the schemes of the devil are after us. What is it? What is it for you? Don't just go directly to sexual issues, though all of us face those. Is it fame? I'm not talking about I want to be a TikTok star. I'm talking about just being known at your work, at school, popularity. Is it finances? Is it the retirement? What is it that is seducing you? Is it they're going to make fun of me if I stand? You remember in Matthew and the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who revile you for my name's sake. Listen, if we can't stand to be reviled, we'll fall when it comes to persecution. And I want to be really careful here because I realize that some of us, we're facing our own types of persecution. Some of you right now, doctors are having to make a decision of how you're going to treat your patients. Are you going to do abortions? Are you going to the LGBTQ lifestyles? And no, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to uh, take part in sex change or hormonal therapies for changes. Lawyers who have to, where the bar is now pushing in on them that they have to represent cases. Cake bakers, florists, teachers. I need you to hear me. The seduction of the prostitute is coming at us, and you know how they're going to play us if we, if we don't watch it? Is they upset our comfort, our lifestyle, our jobs. Oh, they take my job. What do I, we, I'm not going to be able to... Duh, 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 duh. Maybe I can slide by. I need you to hear me. The seduction of the prostitute comes at us every day. The angel said, wake up, John. Let me ask you, who's waking you up? Are you connected to a discipling group who is walking in your life and calling you up? Listen, are, are you connected to a body, a church, a community? Because I need you to hear me. There is nothing Lone Ranger, individual, about being a Christian about being uh, a Christian and about walking in faith. It is about community. Are you connected to a church? Like I've joined a church, I know. We want you here. This is why I ask you and I call you all the time. Be involved in the community. Make a commitment to the body. Be committed. Don't get your preaching over here, my worship over here. I'm decide come to the house of the Lord. Some of you might now may be thinking Is he saying that my faith, my salvation is based on being a church member? No, your salvation is based on being a follower of Jesus Christ, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. But I need you to know that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he calls us to be connected to a body of believers. 
that love each other, that pray with each other, that have community with each other, that disciple one another. Christianity is not golf and tennis, an individual thing. It's football, it's soccer, it's baseball. It is a team sport, and we need each other. You know why? Because the schemes of the devil are great. Look with me at verse 16 and 17 real quick, and I have to close. Verse 16 and 17. I want to read this so you can put this on the screen. Verse 16 and verse 17, if you can get to it there. And the ten horns that you saw, those are the kings, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. You see that? They will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, and they will devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Notice here, for God has put it into their hearts to carry out this, his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Listen, at some point, evil is going to turn on evil. Why? Because God, this is how God is going to bring judgment upon them. Now with that, back to 14. Go back to 14 with me. Verse 14 says this. They, who is that? That's the 17 different kings. Those, the, the, the rulers, the powers, the dominions. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Notice who else? And those with him who are called and chosen and faithful. Do you know who's going to overcome and win with the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Those who are faithful. How are you faithful? Because you're called and chosen. The question today, everyone with me, the question today is are you called and chosen? Has God called your name? You know the name across everyone's head? Let me ask you this. Is the name across your forehead child of the king, child of the one true living God? Are you, has there been a point where you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sin. You see, it's the great exchange that C.S. Lewis talks about where he went to the cross and he exchanged his righteousness for your sin. If you'll bring your sin, he'll give you his righteousness. My prayer today has been, God, would you save people? Would you wake us up as followers of Jesus, that we wouldn't fall to the schemes of the evil one, the liar, the deceiver, the one who has come to steal, to kill, and destroy you. Jesus has come to give you life, and I want you to hear that if he's your savior, he's already won the war. He's calling us today to faithfulness, and our hope, our only hope, is in Jesus today. Father, I love you and I honor you and I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be together here. And I'm asking right now, Jesus, that you would save people. Holy Spirit, would you draw men and women to Jesus Christ? Jesus, you're our only hope.
Help us to have a mind of wisdom because this takes wisdom to live today. Help us to be in the word. Father, I'm asking that right now that you would be saving people all over this room. You would be opening blind eyes. You would be calling people from death to life. I'm asking right now, if you're in this room and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you're sensing something in your spirit, that's the Holy Spirit calling you, would you respond to him today? Would you say, Jesus, I trust you. I turn from my life of sin. I turn from placing my faith in all these things, but now I place my faith in you. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. Save me. Father, I ask that right now that you would save people. If there's someone today in this room who has prayed that prayer, who has cried out to him, would you come and see me after this? I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. I want to help you know what that next step is. I'm going to be outside at our pastor's area. Jesus, we magnify you now in our singing and in our giving. We love you and we honor you, and it's in your name we ask these things today. Amen. Would you stand up right now? Zion's going to lead us as we respond to the word preached.